as we step out of the pandemic, I, I want to encourage you to come out swinging. Now, I don't want you to be violent, but, but, I, but I do want you to understand that, that God is with us and he's never left us. Even, even the Delta variant doesn't, doesn't surprise God, all right? And as we're in this process of, of stepping into a, a world that has been changed and shifted by a hundred-year global pandemic, and as the implications of it come out, there, there are some things from the Bible that we have to learn. And one of those is what it means to have a, an ability to serve with grace. When I was growing up, my father was a pastor. And before I started high school, I, in the first eight years of school, I attended seven different schools. And now, if you want to do something to a kid, put them at seven different schools in the first eight years they're in school. You learn a lot of things. One is you learn how to survive when you're the new kid in the school. And, and I learned very quickly there were two things that, that I would utilize in order to make friends and fit in. One was athletics. I, I figured out early on that, that I had enough giftedness and I had enough ability to, to be able to make some friends by, by playing ball with some friends and, and being a part of the team. If you were a part of the team, then it, it kind of brought some other social connections with you. The other one I learned was that somewhere along the line, God had blessed me with the ability to study. And so academics was the other one because here's what I figured out. If you were not the smartest kid in the class, because nobody really liked the smartest kid in the class, right? But, but if you were just one of the kids who got it, who understood it, then there were other kids that you could help, and they would look to you, and you could make friends simply be, by being good in your studies. And it, and it op offered all kinds of opportunities to me. I still remember in a place called Big Spring, Texas, being in the sixth grade and, and getting little ribbons because I, I would be in a competition as a sixth grader to see how many books I could read in a week. Uh, the librarian there was this amazingly motivating person who could get us all in a sixth graders to, to read books. And, and that carried over into my entire life. And, and I love the fact that in that process of going to the different schools, I, I got to learn about different places. For instance, in, in Texas, you study Texas history in the sixth grade. I went to sixth grade and seventh grade in Texas. In Illinois, you study Illinois history in the fifth grade in the old curriculum. And so I went to fifth grade in, in Illinois, and so I learned about Illinois history there. And, and then when I got to to the eighth grade, I was in Mississippi, and they had Mississippi history in the eighth grade. So I got to study each of these states, and somehow in that process, history kind of became something that was important to me. It, it, it became one of those ways that I could, I could learn stuff. So when I got to college, when I came to college here in, in Anderson, then they, they gave you these exams as you came in to kind of do placement stuff, and, and I had learned so much and liked the history so much that they said, you don't have to take the freshman history class. You can start with an upper division history class. So I did. Because after all, you're paying for this stuff. You want to get the most out of your money. And, and so I signed up for an upper division history class as a freshman. This was not smart. First of all, I'm 18. Some of those folks were 22, 23, one or two of them, 24, 25 years old. They had so much more life experience than me. And they understood college. I mean, they weren't freshmen, right? They, they knew what to expect. For instance, when the professor handed out the 
the, uh, the syllabus at the beginning of the semester, they knew to pay attention to what he asked for. I just thought, oh, okay, that's a piece of paper telling us what we're going to do. I'll listen to the professor. So when it came time for the first test, you can imagine my shock. This person who had used academics as a way of trying to fit in with people and make friends. When we have a hundred question test on American political history. And I've paid close attention in every lecture. I've read every assignment. I'm ready for this test. And they, the professor hands us a, a, a test that had a hundred questions on it. And I'm going through the questions. Those questions were not in those lectures. Those questions were not in the reading material. At least not the textbook. And, and, and when I, I, I took the test and I thought, I, that's the worst I've ever done. When I, and, and I was confirmed when the, a few days later when the professor handed out the exams. I got a 33 out of 100 questions right. Folks, they give you that for like signing your name, all right? And I'm like, I, I, what in college is hard. This is not good. I'm going to lose all my friends. I'm going to lose my place. I'm, what, what, how, how am I going to deal with this? And then the professor stepped into the front of the classroom after having given out all of the exams to all of the students in the room. And I heard some other rumbling going on kind of behind me. And he, uh, he said, uh, ladies and gentlemen, do you remember the very first day we were here? I went through the syllabus with you. And I told you, as a professor, I believe that you don't learn the entire story just from the lectures and the textbook. I believe that you learn the entire story from the additional reading and the footnotes and the captions to the picture. The man was testing us on the captions to the pictures and the content of the footnotes. And, and, and he said, so you obviously didn't take this seriously because the highest grade in the class was 38. My 33 looked good. I was like, I'm going to fit in again. And he said, and so, just so I don't ruin anybody's GPA, I just want to let you know that I'm going to grade this test on something called a curve. I'd never heard of the curve. In, in Mississippi, a curve is what's in the road, right? And, and, and no, I'm going to grade it on a kind of bell curve, and the person who got 38 gets an A, and I feel 33. I got a B. I was so excited. I thought I failed, and then I ended up with a B. Now, I tell you that story as we're coming out of a pandemic because I, I, I want to say to you, I think, I think for those of us in the church these days, it's important for us in the Bible, it's important for us in our relationship with Jesus to read the footnotes and the captions. See, there are some stories in Scripture. There, there, there's a narrative of God's love for us in the Bible. There's, there's, there's a way in which God wants to speak to us. And if we only read and listen to the things that everybody else is saying, if we only look at the things that the culture says we should look at, if we only look at the things that the church says we should look at, and we don't read the inner pieces of the whole story in the Bible, then we end up, we end up failing the exam. But worse than that, we end up missing the true story. And so this morning, I want to I read you a story that for many of you, it, it's just a footnote. In fact, in some of the, the commentaries, the things where scholars have studied Scripture, this, this text is it's just a footnote. 
It's just a footnote in the, in the life of the Apostle Paul and the, and the time between his second missionary journey and his third missionary journey. It happens after, after he's leaving Corinth. Last week we talked about the fact that he arrived in Corinth alone and God had already provided Aquila and Priscilla who had come from Rome. They were all refugees in this city together and, and they began to connect through the trade of being a, a leather worker or a tent maker and having a faith in Jesus Christ as the Messiah and that God God helped Paul and he helped Aquila and Priscilla live beyond fear and and. Jesus showed up in the middle of the night and, and, and spoke to Paul in a vision and said, hey, I just want you to know, you don't have to be afraid. I'm with you. And for those of us coming out of a pandemic, for those of us living through all the adjustments that we're going through, you just need to know you don't have to be afraid. God is with us. And yet in that process, after that time frame, the apostle Paul decides to make a trip back to the church in Jerusalem to report in on what's happened on his trip with Barnabas and Timothy and, now I'm sorry, with, with Silas and Timothy and Luke. And we pick up the story. We pick up the footnote. We pick up the, the caption in Acts chapter 18, beginning at verse 18. Let me read it for you. And let's take a little time today to figure out what this story really means for us. In Acts chapter 18, I'm going to start reading at verse 18. After this, Paul stayed many days longer. After this is after God had protected him in Corinth. After God had fulfilled the promise he made in the vision. And then Paul took leave of the brothers and sisters in Corinth and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. So Priscilla and Aquila are now leaving Corinth going with Paul. At Synchrus, he had, his, he had cut his hair. Now, cutting his hair is a reference to the fact that when God spoke to Paul, Paul made a vow, a vow to trust God with everything. And one of the things in the first century that a Jewish man who had made a vow would do is he would not cut his hair. I, I have a friend, a neighbor in my neighborhood, who decided that he was not going to cut his hair during the pandemic. Until, until the mask went away, he was going to keep his hair growing. Now, he works from home, and his wife was the only one who really complained. All right? but, he, but he'd walk through the neighborhood, and he's like, you like my hair? I'm like, I had hair like that once, a long time ago. And he'd just laugh. And, and what Paul's done is, Paul now at Sincra, he, he cuts his hair. And he cuts his hair... Because God has fulfilled the vow. And when they came to Ephesus, he left them there. Now when you're reading through the scriptures, if you don't take time for the captions and the footnotes, you, you, you get to the understanding, you say, well, he left them there. Who did he leave there? Aquila and Priscilla. He left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue in Ephesus. Now, you need to know a little bit about Ephesus to understand the full footnotes and the, and the captions. Ephesus at this time was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. Well over a quarter of a million people in the city in the first century in Ephesus. It was a major player in the world. And there were many, many Jewish people in Ephesus. And the synagogue there was one of the largest synagogues outside of Israel. And it drew people from all over the world. 
And so here was Paul reasoning in the synagogue in Ephesus, and he's leaving Priscilla and Aquila there. In the synagogue, he reasoned with them, with the Jewish leaders, about Jesus. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he, he said, I, I, I'll return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. And after spending time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Pergia, strengthening all the disciples. That's his third missionary journey. Now, what I want you to capture this morning out of this footnote is what happened to Priscilla and Aquila. The focus of this story is not Paul. The focus of this story is the church. And the church in Ephesus, while birthed by Paul and his teaching, the, 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 the church in Ephesus was sustained by Priscilla and Aquila. And here are these two people. I mean, they are refugees in Corinth because they've been run out of Rome. But they weren't originally even from Rome. He was from Pontus. And they somehow in their life, they had managed to be people, kind of like me going through elementary school, in a different place every year, making new friends, new people. And now, now they're in Ephesus, and, and they've, they've left behind Corinth because they've, they found this relationship with Jesus that they somehow had discovered in Rome to be so intriguing, to be so, so life-consuming that they, they, actually, they actually said, you know what, Paul, we'll go with you. We're going to be a part of the work. We're, we're going to do something for God. We're going to do something with our life. We're going we're gonna to do something. Becky was reminding me of a quote that uh, the young gentleman who passed away, unfortunately, last year, who was the star of the movie Black Panther, asked for his epitaph on his tombstone to simply be this. When I stand before God, I want to be able to say to him, I used every talent you gave me to its fullest extent. My friends, that's where Priscilla and Aquila were. Because you see, what happened was the grace of Jesus, this grace of Jesus created a servant heart in them. When they really had this encounter with Jesus, that it was a servant heart. And, and that's a huge thing for us to learn because over the last 25 to 50 years in the church in the West, we've been confused about grace. We've, we've kind of preached what many would call a cheap grace. It, it's just this grace that forgives you when you sin. It's kind of like where, where Paul's talking to the church in Rome and he says to them, hey, should we just, because grace abounds, because there's enough grace to cover all of our sin, should we just kind of keep sinning so that we get more grace? By no means. Paul says, no way, uh-uh, because that's the cheap end of grace. The forgiveness is the cheap end of grace. The strong end of grace is the grace that you get from a relationship with Jesus. It's the grace that changes your heart. It's the grace that makes you into a servant, and that's what Priscilla and Aquila had run into. Now, I want to I move pretty quickly to tell you that grace is also not something you earn. It is free. But in the freeness of the grace, it invites you into a relationship that shapes you and changes you. And so for Priscilla and Aquila, it meant, you know what? God's calling Paul to share this gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to go with him. And the very first place they get to, Paul says, hey, you know what? Y'all stay here. I'm going on. My friends, I just want to ask you this morning, the grace you've experienced from Jesus, have you experienced the kind of grace where 
where you are letting your heart be changed? Where you're moving from, from someone who seeks to be served into someone who seeks to serve. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, that's exactly who he said he was. In fact, he actually told his disciples, look, I, I am the son of God. But I came here not to be served because I'm God. I'm, I'm not expecting you to bow down because I'm God. No, I came to serve you. So that in serving you, you would discover what it means to be transformed, what it means to be changed. You see, that's, that's what happens when you read the footnotes. That's what happens when you, when you read the captions under the picture. You, you discover the story. The story of salvation, the story of, of Christianity is not just that you follow all the rules and check all the boxes and be a legalist on one end. And it's not that you just give everybody everything on the other end. No, it's that you're invited into a relationship. Grace, the grace of Jesus creates in us a new heart. It creates a, it creates a servant heart. And that's why Priscilla and Aquila left Corinth, and they got to Ephesus. And when Paul said, hey, guys, I'm going on, but I need somebody to stay here, Priscilla and Aquila said, all right, I'll, I'll do that. I'll stay right there. I'll be a servant. We'll do this. As a husband and a wife couple, we're going to do this. And then when that happens, God begins to use Priscilla and Aquila. And they're more than a footnote, and they're more than a caption, but you won't know the whole story until you know their story. Listen to what happens while they're in Ephesus, worshiping in that large synagogue with that huge Jewish population in this large Roman city. In verse 24, now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, now that's Alexandria, Egypt, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures, and he had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He knew only the baptism of John. Well, that, that's, that's something you've got to understand 2,000 years later. It's another one of those captions. It's another one of those footnotes. See, when, when, when Luke writes that that. Apollos only knew the, the baptism of John. What he's saying is he's never met Jesus yet. What he's saying is he knew about Jesus. See, the baptism of John was a baptism of repentance. It was a baptism that, that pointed to the Messiah. Remember, the message of Jesus from the very first time he spoke in public was repent and believe the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus did come preaching repentance, but he preached more than repentance. He preached a new life. John, on the other hand, oh, no, no, John, John was the man. John knew the Old Testament. He was the fulfillment of the prophecy. John himself prophesied about Jesus, told his disciples when Jesus came along, hey, you go with him because I'm not worthy to tie the, the lashes on his sandals, man. He is the Messiah. And here's Apollos, a man from Alexandria. Now, if you know, if you took any history classes, any world history classes, you might remember that Alexandria was considered the seat of knowledge. It was in Egypt. It was on the Mediterranean Sea. In fact, if you know much about archaeology, you know that the, 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 the library in Alexandria was considered the world's greatest collection of wisdom. Now, you don't even have to know history for that. Just watch the movie National Treasure, all right? You'll figure it out. They find the scrolls from the library in Alexandria. 
And what Luke tells us is that here's Apollos, and he's competent in the Old Testament scriptures. He's a Jewish leader. He's an eloquent speaker. He's someone who can move people. He, he's someone who can get large crowds of people to listen to what's going on. And, and he's very fervent in the spirit. He, he's just got this energy about him. And, and yet, he only knows the way of John. He doesn't understand that the way of Jesus is more than the way of John. That the way of Jesus, yes, Jesus is pointed to by John. Yes, the prophecy is fulfilled through John. Yes, John was telling the truth, but it was only part of the truth. See, repentance isn't all that you need. You need repentance. You can't have renewal. You can't have forgiveness. You can't have a new life without repentance. And let me just go ahead and add to you, you can't repent if you don't recognize you're wrong. So you've got people in the world right now who are trying to do the John the Baptist thing. I mean, can you imagine John the Baptist on Twitter? You brood of vipers! John, John the Baptist, man, he, he, he'd have been powerfully effective in our world. And Apollos, so would Apollos. In fact, there's a whole bunch of Apollos-type people in our world right now. And they're out for justice, and they're out for a new world order, and they're out for all kinds of things. And some of them are in the church. And they're teaching a, a, a Christianity that's all about rules and regulations on one end, or all about the free expression on the grace on the other end. And they're eloquent, and they're learned. And they can, but you know what? You know what they're missing? They're missing the same thing Apollos was. They don't know Jesus. See, knowing Jesus is what this is all about. Experiencing Jesus is what this entire, this entire Christian life is created to do. You were made in the image of God so that you could know him and you can know him through Jesus better than any other way in the world. And so when Priscilla and Aquila heard Apollos, eloquent, learned, powerful, preaching truth, but stopping short of the way of Jesus, they, they knew they had, they had something Apollos needed. And now here's where grace comes in. This is, the, this is the grace of a servant heart. What do you do when you know somebody isn't quite right? You know somebody, has, they're almost there, they're really close to it. How do you tell them they're wrong? Now right now, in our world, you tweet it. Right now, you, you put it on Facebook. Right now, I don't know, you grab a cardboard box and you write something on it and you stand on the side of the road and you tell, repent or, you know, or burn. I used to get so upset when I pastored in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Somebody, in the name of Jesus, in the name of religion, in the name of Christianity, had taken spray paint and put graffiti on an overpass as you went from what one part of Chattanooga called, it called East Ridge, where I lived, into another part called Hickson, which was a little north. As you went along the interstate there, it said big letters, turn or burn. And I'm like, that, 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 that's not Jesus. That, that's... That's a human way of trying to turn people. And Priscilla and Aquila knew that. So listen to what they did. He began to speak boldly, Apollos, in the synagogue. But when 
Priscilla and Aquila heard him, the English Standard Version says they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. My friend, that's the most beautiful statement you're ever going to read in Scripture. Because you see, the grace of Jesus that makes a servant heart doesn't allow you to write turn or burn on the interstate. The, the, the grace of Jesus that creates a servant heart doesn't allow you to stand up in opposition and pick it against them. No, no. The, 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 grace of, the grace of Jesus, it, it does to you what it did to Priscilla and Aquila. Because you see that phrase that says, they took him. In the Greek, it, it literally means they brought him home to dinner. <laughs> it, it literally means they... They, 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 they began a relationship with him. It literally means that because of the grace that had changed their heart, when they saw somebody who was wrong, instead of condemning them, instead of being harsh on them, instead of being confrontive with them, no, they, they cared about him. And they cared enough to, to enhance the relationship by, by pulling him aside. Don't, don't embarrass him. You see... The grace of Jesus that creates servant hearts, that, that grace of Jesus cares and confronts. It, it, it corrects people gently. It, it, it corrects them and confronts them with gentleness, with care. And so privately, Priscilla and Aquila brought Apollos to their home. And they said, Apollos, man, you're a great speaker. Man, you know the scriptures so well. You've got all this. But, but, but listen, Apollos, you're missing something. You're missing the fact that Jesus, Jesus told us not to be baptized for repentance, but to be baptized as his disciples. Do you remember that? And the last thing that Jesus said to the disciples before he ascended to heaven, he said, go therefore make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them and teaching them. And showing them who I am. Apollos, you are right in everything. You just don't know this. And there Priscilla and Aquila taught it to him. And by the way, you've got to know, it wasn't a scenario where Priscilla made the food and Aquila did the talking. Priscilla and Aquila are equal leaders in this household. Priscilla and Aquila are equal people in the sight of God. And both of them, the male and the female, had a conversation. And that's, that had to blow Apollos away. Because she is a good first century Jewish man. He knew that Aquila could have stood up in the synagogue and said to him, Hey, you need to know that you, he could have confronted him. He could have called him out in front of everybody. I mean, every Jewish man had that right to do that in the synagogue. Now, uh, Priscilla didn't have that right in the synagogue. In, in the first century, in a Jewish synagogue, the women didn't even get to sit on the main floor. They made them sit in the back and in the balcony. It wasn't even an option, all right? And, and yet, here you have a husband and wife transformed by Jesus Christ, taking this learned, eloquent, powerful leader and saying, hey, Apollos, you just need to know you've missed something. And they did it with such gentleness, and they did it with such care, that it changed Apollos' whole life. The rest of his life was changed because they cared enough 
out of the grace that had transformed them to share that grace with him. And so what happens? Listen to the rest of the story. It's amazing. Because when he wished to cross to Achaia, which by the way, Achaia is another word for Corinth, the brothers and sisters there in Ephesus encouraged him and wrote to the disciples in Corinth to welcome Apollos. When Apollos arrived in Corinth, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully now refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures what? That the Christ, the Messiah, was Jesus. See, what happens here is that a heart that has been created in servanthood by the grace of Jesus, a heart that, that has been transformed to the place that, that it confronts and it corrects with care, that kind of heart, that kind of heart encourages and impacts and powers people to serve God with the same grace they've experienced. Now, I'm going to say something to you. Some of you are going to pull back on me for just a minute, but I want you to consider it. Could it be possible? Could it be possible that, that God has a way of redeeming all that we've been through in the last 18 months, all that we don't know about the next 18 months, that God has a way through his grace in Jesus Christ, through transformed hearts, to, to change the world? I mean, could it, could it be? That in 5 or 10 or 15 years, we will look back and say, you know that pandemic thing that happened? You know that COVID thing where hundreds of thousands of people in our country died and, and millions of people around the world? You remember that? How hard that was, how painful that was. That was the beginning of God doing something amazing in the world. Not that God started it. That's a, that's a discussion for another long day but that out of what sin and brokenness created, God redeemed it. That Jesus transformed lives. And that the way it happens is for those of us who are followers of Jesus to be the body of Christ in such a way, in such a way that we, we actually are transformed by grace, encouraging others who aren't to be transformed by grace. And to see their life completely changed and the world. See, I, I keep wondering as I'm praying these days, God, are, are you bringing revival out of this for the church? God, are, are you going to bring a spiritual awakening out of this for the world? Are we going to finally realize how dependent we are upon you? Because you see, the grace of Jesus creates servant hearts. And it cares enough to correct and confront with love and grace and it encourages and it empowers people that's what it did for Apollos he went on over to Corinth and there he impacted people so much you want to read how much he impacted them read Paul's letter to the church in Corinth called 1 Corinthians and you'll find in there the impact that Apollos had on the church that was established under Paul's leadership but you'll also find in there that even people who experience grace can sometimes step away from it. And in Corinth, 
Paul writes to them and says, you know what? There's so many things I need to help you with, but, but one of them is this. I need you to know that when you come together for the Lord's table, you're not doing it right. Because some of you are coming because you're hungry and you haven't eaten, and so you're just eating and you're cutting in front of others in line, and you've turned this sacred moment into just a perfunctory ritual. And there are others of you. You, you, you're in rebellion secretly, but you don't want anybody else to know. And so you're, he literally uses these words. You're eating and drinking the body and blood of Christ to your own detriment. And Paul says that's why some of you are still so sick. Because you've not come clean with God. You've not come clean with Jesus. Today's August 1. And it's Sunday. If you haven't figured this out yet, that means this is the first Sunday in August. And here at Eastside, on the first Sunday of every month, we come to the table. And this morning, I want to invite you to come to the Lord's table, whether you're with us online or on campus. For those of you online, there have already been posts in the chat room. And so hopefully you're already prepared to take bread and cup. For those of you on campus, you Underneath your seat, you'll find the bread and the cup. And as we were preparing this service, Heather and I were talking, and, and, and she said, Hey, Pastor Kerry, you remember this song? It, it's, it's from when we were young. And when she said it, I, I remember it. And as we looked at it, I said, Heather, I, I would like you to sing that song while the people of Eastside on campus and online are considering and remembering the grace of Jesus. So this morning as Heather sings, I invite you to take the bread and I invite you to take the cup and I invite you to come before Jesus and let him change your life.